Is that all right? Hear me all right? I always underestimate how far it is down here. For most people, it's a little bit shorter when they're like down here, but like for me, it's a bit further away. Now, my experience as a primary school teacher tells me to prepare people for how long they're going to be sat down, <laughs> and you normally get a better outcome. So I practiced this during the week a number of times. I timed it once, and it was about 31 minutes. Now, I just told Kev that, and he told me that's way too short. So I'm going to have to speak at half speed. Okay, so we'll see how this goes. Okay. So today we're going to be looking at what I believe is one of the most audacious statements that Jesus ever made. And Jesus made some outrageous statements, didn't he, when we look at the Bible. For example, he's the guy who said you've got to lose your life to save it. He's the guy who said you've got to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. He's the guy who said it's better to give than to receive. He's the guy who said the meek, not the bold or aggressive, but the meek shall inherit the earth. Now, church, Jesus said all kinds of outrageous, outlandish things, but by far, in my opinion, the most audacious, potentially even politically incorrect words to come out of his mouth are found in John 14, verse 6, where he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And now Jesus is unequivocally saying that he's the only way to God. He's the only way to the Father, and he's the only way to heaven. There is no other way. Now, I forgot to say at the beginning, feel free to yes and amen and woo, hallelujah, okay, just to keep me going. Now, when some people hear this, they can't believe it. They say how bigoted, how narrow-minded, how snobbish maybe for him to say these words. And to be honest, on the surface, you can kind of understand. But over the years, I'm sure as you and I have looked at this verse and studied it, I know I've come to the conclusion that when Jesus said these things, he was telling the truth. He was telling the truth. And he didn't just say it out of some narrow-minded bigotry or arrogance. He said it because of his great love and compassion and concern for you and me. And I believe that if you and I will honestly and openly study this verse today in this statement, and the closer we study it, the more sense it's going to make to us, and the more we're going to be moved by its power and depth. Now, so why is this statement so controversial? Well, I believe... It's controversial because it strikes at the heart of three myths about Christianity. Three myths that some of you in this room might hold. And so I want to focus on these three myths this morning. So let's jump in. Myth one says that all religions are basically the same. How many of you have heard that maybe before? Yeah, all religions are basically the same. In other words, when you boil them down, when you strip away all the surface stuff, when you get down to their true heart and core, all religions basically teach the same thing. Therefore, it doesn't really matter which one you follow because they all essentially teach the brotherhood of human beings and the fatherhood of God. And yet, with one audacious statement, Jesus makes um, that he is the one and only way to God. Jesus boldly puts Christianity in a class all by himself. Because the truth is, if the only real way to God is through Jesus Christ, then the reality is Christianity cannot 
be compared with any other religion. Acts 4 verse 12 says, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. You see, church, the uniqueness of Christianity is rooted in the uniqueness of Jesus Christ. He is unlike any other religious leader that has ever walked this planet. I mean, listen to the differences between what other religious leaders say and what Jesus says. Other religious leaders say, follow me and I'll show you how to find the truth. Jesus says, I am the truth. Other religious leaders say, follow me and I'll show you the way to salvation. Jesus says, I am the way to eternal life. Other religious leaders say, follow me and I'll show you how you can become enlightened. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Other religious leaders say, follow me and I'll show you many doors that lead to God. But Jesus says, I am the door. Other religious leaders say, follow me and I'll show you how you can find spiritual nourishment. But Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And then Jesus says, follow me. Follow me. Do you see the difference? Now, a lot of people try to harmonize or find common ground between the different religions of the world. And to be honest, there are some common commonalities on the surface, like some morals and ethics. But the, hear this, the truth is there are also drastic differences below the surface at the core between Christianity on the one hand and the other belief systems. In fact, if you study the world religions, you'll discover that almost all of the other world religions, other than Christianity, are all built on the idea of doing something. They're built on the idea that if you and I struggle enough, if we strive enough, if we work hard enough, then someday, somehow, we will earn God's favor. And so they say, you've got to use the Tibetan prayer wheel, or you've got to give alms to the poor. You've got to go on pilgrimages. You've got to avoid certain times of food. You've got to perform a certain amount of good deeds or you've got to go through a series of reincarnations. All of these things, all of these things are human attempts to reach out to God. But friends, in Jesus Christ, we find God reaching out to us. Jesus taught the opposite of what these other religions say. He said that nobody, nobody can earn their way into heaven. And why is that? Well, Jesus often talked about two things that are very consistent with my own human experience. First, he said, we're all guilty of wrongdoing. Fair enough. Yeah? We're all guilty of doing wrong. I'm sure we can all agree with that. And secondly, he said that our wrongdoing separates us from God. I mean, all of us in this room have experienced times, I'm sure, where God feels distant, detached. And why do we experience that? Well, the Bible says our wrongdoings have separated us from God. They've created a gap between us and God, a gap that you and I don't have the power to bridge. But the Bible tells us that because of God's great love for us, Jesus Christ voluntarily became our substitute. He voluntarily went to the cross and died in our place, paying the penalty for our sins, and thereby bridging the gap between us and God. 
And so if you and I will open our hearts to Jesus Christ, and if we'll receive his sacrifice on our behalf, then God says we will become reconciled to him forever. We'll become joined with him. Church, that's a huge difference. That's a huge difference between Christianity and all of the other world religions because it's the difference between good works and God's grace. Good works and God's grace. Some people like to put it, all the other religions are spelt do. They're spelt do because they all fundamentally teach that people have to do something to try and please God. But Christianity says because of our sin, we can't do it. We can't earn our way into heaven. We can't be good enough. That's why Christianity is spelt done. It's done. Jesus Christ has done for us for us what we could never do for ourselves. He lived a perfect, sinless life, and then he went to the cross to die for our sins and the sins of the whole world. And what did he say when he died on the cross? It's finished. It's done. The sins of the world are paid for. Which means, all that's left for you and I to do is to apply what God has done for us. To apply it. In other words, to receive his free gift of forgiveness, grace, and mercy. The Bible says in Titus 3 verse 5, he saved us not because of the righteous things we have done. In other words, he didn't save us because of our good deeds, but because of his mercy. Now let me say, that doesn't mean that as Christians... We don't believe in doing good works. We do believe in good works, don't we? As a matter of fact, in Ephesians 2 verse 10, it says that we were created to to do good works. Because Jesus says, says, when we do good works and others see them, then they'll give glory to our Father in heaven. And so as Christians, we do good works because it fulfills our purpose. It's what we were created to do and it brings glory to our Father in heaven. But, hear this, good works are not the way you and I become forgiven. Good works are not the way you and I become reconciled, joined with God. In other words, good works don't save us. Instead, we are saved by grace, through faith in God. And so, as Christ followers, as Christians, we don't do good works to be saved. We do good works because we are saved. And so Christianity is irreconcilable, it's uncomparable with any other religion in terms of how you and I become joined to God forever. It's by grace, through faith, not by works. But there are also a number of other major differences between the religions. For example, Christianity says that there is only one true God. Only one true God that eternally exists in three persons, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, just to make it a bit more complicated. But one God. Hinduism says that everything is God. I'm God, you're God, this microphone is God, this building is God, everything. Islam denies that Jesus was God. Islam denies that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And Buddha, well, Buddha was kind of non-committal. He wasn't sure whether there was a God or not. You could say he was agnostic. And of course, atheists are pretty well convinced that there is no God. And so if you and I allow these different belief systems to speak for themselves, and it's important that we do do that, 
that we allow them to speak for themselves, then it doesn't take long to figure out that they contradict each other. And if they contradict each other, then they can't all be the same. And they can't all be true. So church, this morning, it does matter. It does matter which path you follow in your spiritual journey. Jesus' words dispel the myth that all paths lead to God. Now, the second myth that Jesus dispels is related to the first one. And it says that all religions have an equal claim to the truth. All religions have an equal claim on the truth. In other words, Christianity may be different than any other religion, but it's still just one philosophy amongst many other philosophies. And therefore, it's only as valid as any other religious system. In other words, you have your truth, I have my truth, but they're both equally true. Now, this myth certainly has an appeal to it, doesn't it? Especially in our country and society today. Um, Um, as a matter of fact, our laws protect the right of every single human being to believe what they want to believe. And because of that, some people make the assumption that just because the law of the land protects every belief, that therefore somehow every belief must be equally true. But that's not the case, is it? This means that in this country, if someone wanted to proclaim that they are the way, the truth and the life, and that nobody comes to the Father, but through them, they could do it. They could say it. And interestingly enough, down through the centuries, other people have. You see, Jesus isn't the only one to say that he's the only way to God. Lots of people have said it. One of my favorites when researching for my message today is a woman who was born in 1752 on Rhode Island in the USA. And her name was Jemima Wilkinson. And Jemima Wilkinson was able to convince about 200 people that she was the daughter of God and that she was their ticket to heaven. She was the one and only way to the Father. And so one day she's taking her 200 followers for a walk and she comes upon the banks of a lake. And when she gets there, she turns to her followers and she says, do you believe, do you believe that I could walk on the water just like Jesus did? And they all said, yes, yes, we believe, we believe. She says, I'm serious now. I'm serious. Do you believe that I could walk on the water just like Jesus? And they'll get all riled up now. Yes, we believe. We believe. So she turns to them and she said, well, if you already believe it, then I guess I don't have to actually do it. <laughs> and so she turned and walked around the lake on dry land instead. And of course, with that, a few of her followers drop off and uh, walk away. But what really destroyed her movement? was in 1820 when she died. She told her followers, don't bury me, because after the third day, I'm going to come back to life again. You can see where this is going. And so they said, okay. And when she died, they didn't bury her. And they just laid her out, and then they waited, and waited, and they waited, and nothing happened. And so slowly, one by one, they all trickled away. And that was the end of Jemima Wilkinson's claim to being the way, the truth, and the life. She wasn't. She was proved to be a liar. 
So let me ask you, how do we know? How do we know that Jesus was telling the truth? Well, the reality is that only Jesus backs up his claims with unique credentials that give him unique credibility. Let me say that again. Only Jesus has unique credentials that give him unique credibility. And he has lots of credentials. And I want to quickly mention just four of them. The first, Jesus validates his claim to being the one and only Son of God, the one and only way to the Father, because Jesus Christ is the only person in all of history to fulfill over 300 ancient prophecies that were written hundreds of years before he was even born. As a matter of fact, none of the other great religious leaders even fulfilled one. Now, I know some will say, well, it isn't possible that Jesus fulfilled these prophecies by chance. Sorry, isn't it possible that he fulfilled them by chance or by coincidence? And the answer has to be no. Dr. Peter Stoner, in his book, Science Speaks, Using the Science of Probability, which I don't claim to understand, really. Um, but he calculated the chances of one person fulfilling just 48 of the major prophecies. Remember, there are more than 300. The chances of them fulfilling just 48 of the major prophecies by coincidence is 10 to the 157th power. I think that's how you say it. So that's 10 with 157 zeros behind it. And mathematicians tell us that anything beyond 10 to the 53rd power is mathematically impossible. In other words, unless somebody had planned it, in this case God, unless God had planned it, no one could have fulfilled even the 48 major prophecies, let alone all 300 by chance. You could say, well, maybe Jesus was just a clever con artist and maybe he engineered the fulfillment of these prophecies. But there's some major problems with that as well. Firstly, the sheer number of them would have made it virtually impossible. But secondly, humanly speaking, there is no way he could have intentionally fulfilled many of them. I mean, he couldn't have arranged for his place of birth or his ancestry. He couldn't have arranged to be born at the exact moment in history that the Messiah was to be born. He couldn't have engineered his method of death, the crucifixion, which, by the way, was predicted hundreds of years before the Romans ever used it as a method of execution. He couldn't have arranged for the reaction of the people, but they're mocking, they're spitting, they're staring. He couldn't have arranged for the type of burial they gave him. Friends, all of these and many more, many, many more were prophesied and all of them were out of his control. Only God, only God could have coordinated all of these events so perfectly. Therefore, his fulfillment of prophecies validate his claim. Secondly, he validates his claim by his unprecedented character. I mean, Jesus was a man who exemplified supreme unselfishness, but never self-pity. He exemplified humility, but never weakness. He exemplified joy, but never at another's expense. He exemplified kindness, but never self-indulgence. He was the kind of man that even his enemies could find no fault in. And his friends who knew him best said he was without sin. Let me ask you, how many of your close friends would say you're without sin? None of mine would. Why? Because the more you get to know me, 
the more you get to see my faults and failures. Just ask Katie. (laughs) But with Jesus, the more his followers and friends got to know him, the more they marveled at his purity. And in the end, they were all martyred or exiled, proclaiming that very fact. So his unique character validates his claim to be the one and only way to God. Thirdly, Jesus validated his claims validated his claim by performing miracles. In fact, in John 10, Jesus is in the temple and the people come to him and they want to know if he's the Christ, if he's the Messiah, if he really is the only way to the Father. And in verse 36 and following, he says, I am God's son. I am, but don't believe me unless I do the miracles of God. In other words, guys, anybody can go around claiming to be the son of God. And so unless I do supernatural miracles, God's miracles, don't believe me. And then, of course, he did perform supernatural miracles. God's miracles, the raising of the dead, the healing of the blind, the calming of the seas, and many, many more. And when he did them, he didn't do them in some dark little corner for himself. He did them in front of the skeptics and the cynics. And as a matter of fact, there are a number of other writings from ancient history that were written by some of Jesus' opponents. There's some ancient Jewish writing you can read. You can read the Quran. You can read ancient Roman writings. But all of them, all of them admit that Jesus did the miraculous. So his ability to do the miraculous further validates his claims of who he was. And fourthly, the most spectacular demonstration of his deity is that Jesus Christ fulfilled his own prediction. That three days after he was put to death, he was resurrected from the dead. And more than 500 eyewitnesses saw him. They saw him and some of them touched him and ate with him. Church, who else? Who else but the Son of God could be tortured as he was, spend three days in a tomb as he did, and then come forth and establish that he had returned to life? This is a huge point. Why? Because it declares that Christianity is not some man-made philosophy. Okay, It is a historical reality where Jesus didn't just claim to be the one and only way to God. No, he backed it up by validating his credentials and firmly establishing his credibility. Now, the third and final myth. Do I need to talk slower, maybe? I don't know. I don't think I'm going to be as long as Kev wants me to be. I'm joking. It's fine. Don't worry. I know I'm good. (laughs) I'm well practiced. Um, So the third myth says that Christians are arrogant when they say that Jesus is the only way to heaven. Christians are arrogant when they say that Jesus is the only way to heaven. Now, I would agree that Christians are being arrogant if there were many ways to get to heaven and they're just saying ours is the best. But that's not what Christians are saying. That's not what I'm saying here this morning. What we're saying is the truth of the matter is someone has got to pay the penalty for the obvious wrongdoings that you and I have committed. Someone has got to pay the penalty. So who's it going to be? Is it going to be you? Is it going to be me? Are we going to pay that penalty for all of eternity? 
or we or are we going to allow Jesus Christ to pay our penalty as our substitute? Friends, Jesus is the only one qualified by his sinless life and by his divine nature. He's the only one qualified to be our substitute. So the reality is this. It's not arrogant to act upon upon the evidence. It's not arrogant to act upon the evidence. Therefore, Christians are not being narrow-minded when we say there's only one way to the Father. Let me try and illustrate this in a different way. Imagine there's a young couple who've just had a uh, baby boy. And shortly after his birth, um, this little guy develops a severe case of jaundice. Um, and of course, jaundice causes the whites of the eyes and the skin to turn yellowish. And the doctor tells them, you know, jaundice is potentially a devastating disorder. But fortunately, there's a very easy cure for it. And all they had to do was put this little baby under a special light. And as his skin absorbs that light, it will stimulate his liver to help it function properly. Now, this couple, when they hear this, they could have said, well, you know what, Doc? That just sounds too easy. I mean, put him under a light. Come on, there's got to be something more to it. How about instead we dip him in bleach and we scrub him really hard? I mean, I'm sure... If we scrubbed him hard enough and long enough, and if we dipped him enough, then we could get his skin back to normal color. Or what if we sincerely believe that we don't have to do anything? If we sincerely believe it's just going to go away and everything's going to be okay. Now, if this couple uh, believed these kind of things, that doctor would have to say, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're going to jeopardize the life of your child if you do that. So listen and listen to me now. There's only one way to cure jaundice. Now, I know it sounds too easy, but look at my credentials. Look at my medical degrees and my history of treating baby after baby after baby successfully for jaundice. Trust me based on my credentials and my history. Now, would anybody accuse these parents are being narrow-minded if they trusted that doctor. A doctor with credibility, a doctor with credentials, and a history of treating babies. Would anyone accuse them being, of being narrow-minded or arrogant? No. Why? Because it's not arrogant to act upon the evidence. Church, the truth is we all have a terminal illness called sin. And the reason that those of us who are Christians cling to Jesus Christ is that he is the great physician who has the medication that can cure us. Now, of course, if we want to, we can try to scrub away our sins with good deeds, but no amount of scrubbing is going to clean away our problem. Or we can try to ignore it and hope it all goes away. It's not going to disappear. Or we can sincerely believe that there's another way to deal with it. But, church, we would be sincerely wrong if we believed that. The truth of the matter is, only the great physician, only God, offers the treatment that will erase the stain of our sin. And so when we turn to Jesus as the one and only way to the Father, it's simply acting in accordance with the evidence. 
And that's why when we as Christians talk about that, we understand that we're just one beggar telling another beggar where to find food. There's no pride or arrogance there. It's just that we've found it's spiritual food through Jesus Christ, undeserved. And we want to share it with others. Now, let me put it in another way. Picture, picture two gyms. One gym represents every other religious system um, that we've ever heard of. And this gym says that if you want to join the gym, you're going to have to have a membership there. Then you've got to pay for it. And you've got to pay for it by achieving a certain level of spirituality. Or you've got to pay for it by performing a certain number of religious rituals. Or you've got to pay for it by accomplishing a certain number of good deeds. And if you do that, then maybe, maybe we'll let you in. But you know what the truth is? That many of you and us aren't going to make it. Many people are going to fall short and that door is going to get slammed in their face. That's what every other religious system I've heard of essentially says. But Christianity is completely different. Christianity is like a gym with its doors swung wide open, open wide. And it says, you want to come in? You want to become a member? Well then great, come in. You don't have to pay for it. Why? Because Jesus Christ already did. He already paid the price and he's paid it in full. And so it doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. Those things don't matter because coming into this gym isn't based on what you do or your qualifications. Instead, it's based on your willingness to accept the gift of eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ. And so the doors are wide open. And they're going to stay wide open in hopes that you come and accept Christ's invitation to follow him. That's what Christianity says. Now let me ask you, which approach is narrow-minded? Which approach? I don't think it's Christianity. Church, Christianity is unique. It cannot be compared with any other religion. And it backs up its truth claims with credibility and credentials and history like no other system does. That's why when Jesus said 2,000 years ago, I am the way, the truth and the life. History didn't laugh at Jesus like it did with Jemima Wilkinson. Instead, history was changed by him. Changed. Now, as the band come up um, and I close, I want to leave you with this question. You've heard the evidence this morning. Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. And no one can come to the Father but through him. So the question is this morning, what are you going to do with that? The doors are open. The work is done. He's paid the price for your sins. Will you put your faith in him and accept him as saviour and lord? Or will you reject him? There's no other way. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ. Lord, the evidence that we've heard this morning cannot be pushed aside, Lord God. Lord, it only backs up the experiences we have had as Christians, Lord God, that we know you are the way to the Father. Lord, we pray that you would open our hearts and minds.
this morning, Lord God, as we worship and as we reach out for you. Lord, we thank you that is your plan. Lord, everything that has happened so far on this earth has been your plan, Lord Jesus. Lord, and we pray, Lord, I pray this morning, Lord, that if, if there's anyone here who doesn't know you, who hasn't made that step, that they would not leave this morning without reaching out and coming to get some prayer. In Jesus' name. Now, as we worship, um, I'm going to be at the front. Pete and Sue's are at the front as well, and there's other people as well. Maybe you are sitting there and you haven't made uh, a commitment to, jo- to God, and you want to come and talk to someone about that. Or maybe you already have, and you just feel like a little refresher. Or maybe you just want to come and get some prayer from a friend. Okay, you can come up to the front. You can talk to the people that are next to you. Don't leave today without speaking to someone.